Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM. That's the station. It's great to have you on your local independent community media, um, not owned by any profit-making corporations and staffed all by people for the love of it. Uh, My name's Andy. I will be with you for the next hour. I'm coming to you this week from Yingata Country in Western Australia and Those of you who have been listening to the show every week may know from those little bits at the start of each show that I have been in Western Australia for quite some time now, about six weeks, Um, but there hasn't been that many shows about Western Australia, and maybe you've been hanging out for it. Well, this week is your week. Um, I'm going to do a show today covering some of the environmental issues going on in this state. it's a state that's interesting politically. It's been in the news a lot with um, hard COVID borders and landslide labor elections at both state and federal level. Um, but those of us on the East Coast often don't hear that much about what's going on in WA. And so this will maybe fill you in a little bit. Um, the two big environmental stories in WA at the moment, we will cover both of them. One is the Scarborough Gas Project an immense um, fossil fuel project 300 kilometres off the coast of WA that is proposed um, by Woodside, giant West Australian petroleum company. Um, There's lots of issues with it. Um, You may have heard of a thing called climate change. Um, That's the main one, but various other issues. I'll speak to Anthony Collins from the Say No to Scarborough um, campaign about that project and about the resistance towards it and we'll also talk to Jess Beckling from the WA Forest Alliance about uh, the work they've been doing to protect native forests and about the big win they had last year in September where the WA state government announced there would be no more logging in native forests. It's been a long time coming and but it might not be entirely uh, everything that forest advocates have hoped for and so We speak to her a bit about that, and at the end of the show, we're going to talk about a little bit of local environmentalism. The Hamilton Hill Gorillionaires are a guerrilla bush regen um, group operating in the suburbs of Perth. I was lucky to get to hang out with them and plant a few trees, and so I chat with Carl from the Gorillionaires about what they do as well. 
So by the end of the show, you'll feel very acquainted with all the news from over in this part of the country. We're going to start off with Anthony Kelly from the Say No to Scarborough campaign uh, to hear about the big proposed fossil fuel project that climate campaigners across WA are working to try to stop. Let's have a listen. My name is Anthony Collins. Um, I work for the uh, Say No to Scarborough gas campaign. Yeah, trying to stop WA's biggest uh, proposed fossil fuel project in a decade. So those of us over on the East Coast maybe are not are filled in with all the details about the Scarborough gas uh, proposal. Can you give us a bit of an overview of um, what is proposed? Yeah, definitely. So Scarborough is an untapped gas field about 300 kilometres off the off the northwest coast of WA, um, up near Caratha. And what they're proposing, what Woodside is proposing to do is, uh, yep, tap that, tap that field, uh, bring that gas onshore to an existing facility, which they uh, will need to expand in order to take that gas, um, produce it, and then obviously ship the vast majority of that gas overseas uh, for significant profits for them and uh, little else for the rest of us here in, here in WA. The project will cause approximately 1.6 billion tonnes of CO2 emissions over its over its 25 to 30 year lifetime. Um, it's not due to uh, start production until 2026, I believe, is what Woodside are aiming for. So that'll take us uh, into 2055 by the time that they've drained that field uh, and produced it all. And obviously this is completely out of line with what the International Energy Agency and the IPCC are saying, um, that as of last year, we needed to keep all uh, all new oil, gas and coal uh, in the ground. We, we cannot afford to burn these new resources if we have any chance of keeping global heating under 1.5 degrees. So is that the main concern for people opposed to the project about the emissions? For us, we're, there's multiple reasons why this why this project is so terrible. Um, uh, for us, as climate campaigners, obviously we're focused on uh, on the climate angle. Um, there are other um, other organisations who are involved who um, who are also concerned about the impacts on marine life. And then there's also the um, traditional custodians up on uh, up on the peninsula. Uh, where it is up on Marajuga, who are really deeply concerned about uh, the effects that the pollution and the emissions will have on the rock art which surrounds the uh, the facilities um, that produce the gas and turn it into LNG. And there is an existing processing facility at um, Karatha there, which you mentioned. So are there already existing offshore gas fields being mined by Woodside? Yeah. So there's two existing facilities up there on on the, on, on the Barrett Peninsula. There is the Northwest Shelf, the Karatha gas plant, uh, and then approximately a kilometre away from that is the Pluto facility. So Scarborough Gas is looking to be piped into an extended Pluto facility 
Um, and Pluto already has, I think, two fields coming into that. Uh, the Northwest Shelf has a few fields which are um, declining. Northwest Shelf is Australia's oldest uh, LNG plant. Um, it was, uh, I think it came online in 1985. Um, and so the the gas reservoirs that that is tapping into uh, are on the on the decline, and if Woodside were acting in line with what uh, what the the global kind of uh, climate science needs us to do, then they would allow uh, allow those fields to deplete and then not put any more fields through it. But there is ongoing um, calls by by Woodside and unfortunately by the state government also. Um, to get another field, the Browse Basin, uh, up and running, and uh, and as, as as of yet also untapped, um, and pipe that through uh, through the Karatha, uh, through the Northwest Shelf and Karatha gas plant uh, also. And if they were to succeed in doing that, they want to extend the life of that facility until twenty seventy, which is obviously way past when we need to be <laughs> not producing. Um, these uh, uh, fossil gas reserves any any longer. Yeah, like a lot of other big corporations, Woodside has lofty climate goals they've stated and sustainability goals. But I mean, building a gas drill rig 300 kilometres off the shore, obviously it's a massive investment and it is looking at locking them into vast amounts of gas for a long time. Yeah, definitely. Not not only them, but um, but also their customers. So one of Woodside's often uh, lauded reasons for for going ahead with these projects is that their their gas uh, replaces coal in other countries, um, which after after many reports and a lot of research has been done, um, has proven to be uh, incorrect uh, and and just absolutely untrue in fact there was a csiro report which woodside actually commissioned um which uh when csiro did the research they they saw that um the gas uh, gas gas going into asian markets actually displaces renewables rather than coal because if you're going to put a load of um gas infrastructure in which is going to cost billions of dollars you're going to want to use that for a few decades um and we don't have decades. We uh, renewables need to be coming online now. Uh, so unfortunately, that's that's a big fat lie from Woodside. And another key point as well, which is obviously very topical at the moment, is that the uh, the energy crisis that's ongoing over east at the moment is is also not going to be not going to be helped by Scarborough coming online or uh, or Browse or anything that Woodside's proposing at the moment. Um, none of this. None of this gas is going to uh, Australian households. Um, a very small proportion of it is going to um, to Australian industry, but an extremely tiny amount and very very local to uh, to the facility up on the Burrup Peninsula. Um, it's all you know. This gas is is going to be loaded onto a ship and sailed off to whoever the highest bidder is. Uh, it is not here to help Australians. Mm. Well, there has been opposition to uh, the Scarborough gas project 
for a number of years, but I guess heating up as the approvals are coming through for it. What does the opposition look like so far? Um, so it's really wide ranging. Um, you know, we, we've been running a campaign which has been uh, really trying to focus on uh, pressuring investors and uh, customers. And, but Scarborough is um, universally disliked and unpopular throughout WA um, and increasingly across Australia. So it has it's resulted in you know people taking uh, more extreme, but also you know I understand um, actions where they've gone and uh, locked on um, to prevent prevent works happening up on the up on the Burke Peninsula, um, and yeah, there is it's also resulting in um, things like fringe fringe festival here in Perth was was sponsored by Woodside. Uh, and after a, a lengthy campaign by artists, um, they they ended up um, getting uh, getting rid of the Woodside naming rights because um, artists didn't want didn't want their festival to be associated um, to a company who's going ahead with such a project. So there's broad and wide ranging opposition from all corners of society, really. And if people are interested in finding out more about uh, Scarborough and the resistance to it, how can they do that? Yep, they can go to uh, um to find out. And yeah, anyone interested in getting involved, um, yeah, there's a there's a sign up page on there, um, and then we'll be in touch. And uh, yeah, there's plenty to do, um, and yeah, plenty more to go at. Um, and yeah, we won't stop until until Woodside stop, basically. Okay, thanks very much, Anthony. You're on Fortable Z 102.1 FM Paradigm Shift. We were speaking about the Scarborough Gas Campaign, which um, is an offshore gas project off the coast of Western Australia that um, Aboriginal people at Murujuka and environmentalists are opposing going back a few years 10 years or so to uh, the James Price Point campaign against a offshore gas hub in the northwest of Australia that campaign of course was successfully won by environmentalists combining with the uh, Aboriginal people at Gularbalu hopefully we'll get a little bit of history repeating um, in that way as well I will hopefully uh, speak to some of the Aboriginal traditional owners who are opposing it in the coming weeks. I'm on my way up towards that part of the country at Karatha. Um, And for now, they've gone to Geneva, actually, to speak to the United Nations uh, gathering of Indigenous people about the project um, and why it should be stopped. So stay tuned for that. Um, I'm going to keep going with talking about West Australian environment issues. Uh, One of the big issues over the years, environment-wise in the state, has been in the southwest, where there's these incredible forests, very beautiful, um, also very unique because of the isolation of WA, um, and they have been logged for a long time, and for a long time people have been trying to stop them being logged. Well, last year there was a big announcement from the WA state government that they would stop logging native forests 
and protect them. So I thought I'd get Jess Beckling from WA Forest Alliance on for a chat to talk about what it all means. Let's have a listen. My name's Jess Beckling and I'm the campaign director with the WA Forest Alliance. I'm down here on Pibbleman Budja in the south coast of Western Australia. Now, there's been some very good news for the West Australian Forest Alliance and Western Australian Forests in general, it should be said, in the uh, last couple of years. Um, I guess to start off with, do you want to share with us what that good news is? Yeah, very good news indeed. After about 50 years of concerted and continuous community campaigning, uh, we finally had a policy breakthrough. Um, The Premier announced in September last year that We're going to see the end of native forest logging. Um, It's about 18 months away now, end of next year. Uh, And uh, the protection of at least 400,000 hectares of what's left of our magnificent forests down here in secure conservation areas. So they'll be protected from logging as well as mining and other threats. So, yeah, incredible breakthrough. Um, Next step is to make that um, go from a policy change into actual on-ground protection. So, It's kind of a bit like having building approval, you know, but you've still got to build the house Um, and there's a lot of hurdles um, still ahead of us and um, we're we're maintaining the community campaign, but incredible breakthrough and we're all very excited. Well, you mentioned that there's been 50 years of work get up to this point. Do you want to give us a bit of a brief background of what the history of campaigning for West Australian forests has looked like? Yeah, it's been pretty incredible and one of our strengths in WA is this strong sense of connection um, back through the um, other people who've fought before us Um, and I've got an an amazing friend and colleague, Beth Schultz, who's in her 80s and she's been campaigning since 1975 when she was a uni student and she went to a Perth City Hall um, meeting just as the wood chipping industry was getting a foothold in the southwest forests and she remembers listening to people talking about how they, you know, had these various kind of ideas about what might work. And one of the things that they were lacking was legal expertise. And so she went and did a law degree specifically, you know, to make herself as useful as possible. And still now in her mid-80s, she's mentoring activists and, uh, you know, maintaining the rage. She's absolutely incredible. So there's been sort of two threads that have run through the history of the campaign. One has been about logging. And the other has been about mining um, and the first ever non-violent direct action that happened in the southwest forests was to try and stop an alumina refinery from getting established about 120 k's south of Perth. Uh, and that's continued um, as well alongside it and interestingly now, just as we're coming to the end of native forest logging, we're also ramping up um, issues with mining in the forests and, and those two threads are kind of weaving back into each other at the moment. Um, there were, there's a bit of a history of blockading, I guess on the East Coast we don't know so much about it, but I think you were involved in some of the, the blockades down in the Southwest. Yeah, there's been a, a very long and proud history of, of blockading and other direct action down here. The, um, I joined in 1997 um, and lived in the old growth forest blockades for about three and a half years, uh, absolutely incredible time in my life. Um, but the, the blockades specifically to do with native forest logging started here in 1994. That was the first time that a bit of old growth carry forest near Pemberton um, was a camp was set up to actually, you know, physically stop the machinery. Um, and then that went through the Tingle and Carry and also Jarrah forests around, mostly around the sort of southern parts of the forest. 
and then in 97 culminated again back in Giblet where it had started in 94. Uh, and then we had absolutely continuous back-to-back, sometimes more than one forest at a time, camps running all the way through to 2001. And that was completely fundamental to the strength of the campaign that was also running in the city and in lots of different ways, um, really kind of creating that place where people could come and they could see what was happening and um, and it was where there was sort of always a fire burning, you know, literally and also metaphorically at the heart of the campaign. Uh, and then in 2001, Jeff Gallup was elected, um, coming out of a Liberal government into a Labor government, um, and he committed before the election to protecting all the old growth forests. Uh, so just after the election, there was a big chunk of forest protected. It was 230,000 hectares, but there was real problems with the definition of old growth. Um, We all thought that a lot more was going to be protected than actually ended up being protected. And so it was an incredible breakthrough, but it set us up for another 20 years of having to continue to convince the West Australian public that after this really powerful, visible time um, and this major breakthrough that was rightly being celebrated, there was in fact still a huge amount of work left to be done. So we've continued over those last 20 years, um, you know, still raising awareness, blockading, using various other techniques, and uh, and now we've got not just an end to old growth logging but an end to all native forest logging just around the corner. Yes, well, it brings us forward to another uh, Labor government and another decision about um, native forest. And, yeah, you've mentioned that it's a, a lot to celebrate, but there's also work still ahead of us to make sure that forests are adequately protected. What's um, What are the issues with the the current proposal and native forest logging and what's the challenges ahead for the Forest Alliance? Well, in the first instance, we've got to make sure that those areas are protected in secure conservation areas. Um, that's, our, that's our first mission. Um, it's looking pretty good. I think we're, I think we're heading in the right direction there. Um, <clears throat> but then there's also what's going to be happening outside of those areas that make it into formal conservation. One of the big issues is thinning, um, and that's being pushed by various proponents from the timber industry. There is potentially some scientific benefit. If you if you can imagine um, areas that have been cleared for mining uh, and then the gravel's been put back on top and there's basically no topsoil and you've got a whole lot of really struggling, skinny little jarrah trees um, standing in there that have been planted very close to one another, those areas aren't you know, that's not a natural forest, it's a it's a rehabilitation site and a lot of it's been done really badly uh, and it's also twice as thirsty as the surrounding forest so it's not only having an impact on those immediate areas but also on the forest as a whole because it's drawing up this absolutely critically needed groundwater. I don't know what it's like in Queensland but in the southwest of WA we've lost about 25% of our rainfall since the mid-1970s so these areas are already really drought prone, you know, and, and struggling So if there's very, very cautious, you know, hand falling and very light machinery taking out one or two trees here and there in those areas, it may well assist those those, um, rehabilitation sites to recover more quickly Um, and we're not not opposing that. But um, it it also could end up being a really perverse incentive for um, far greater areas to be thinned and that's what we're being very cautious about, making sure that um, there's going to be a, a robust, um, very transparent community-led um, and, and have those independent scientific experts up the front telling us which areas of, um, of, of these um, rehabilitation sites and 
potentially some of the immature regrowth that's most drought prone might actually benefit from thinning. So that's a major, major topic for us. We don't want to see thinning become logging by a new name. Uh, and then the other one is, well, there's, there's two more really. The, other, the, the, the next one is fire. We've got a major problem with fire management um, in the southwest with aerial incendiaries being dropped over vast areas of the forest every year, an annual target of 200,000 hectares that the department um, meets and often exceeds um, huge impacts on climate and wildlife and biodiversity. So that's a, a major issue that the community is really mobilising around. And then finally, it's mining. Um, and we've just had a proposal hit the EPA, open for public comment um, from South 32, multinational bauxite and coal mining company, they want to clear another 4,500 hectares of Jarrah forests to, um, for, for, for bauxite mining and alumina refining. Um, and that's a massive climate problem. Alumina refinery in the southwest of WA or in WA in general is the second largest emitter of carbon dioxide, well above coal. Um, and uh, th- this proposal would see 270 million tonnes of carbon emitted over the next 15 years. So that's a huge problem. And then We've also got Alcoa, the other bauxite mining company, about to hit the EPA sometime in the next few weeks. So there's no shortage of um, of work for us to do. But I, you know, I've kind of always felt like forest advocacy is the thing that um, it, it will go on forever as long as there have been people um, extracting from the forests. There's also been people standing there to defend them, and um, you know those those issues morph and change, but. We've always got to be able to pass on the campaign in, in good nick to the next generation and it's certainly been passed on to us in, in very good condition and we're going to do the best that we can while we've got carriage of it. One of the things that does strike me in Western Australia is that a lot of the um, vegetation is quite unique to Western Australia and there's a lot of Western Australian pride <laughs> that carries on into, you know, jarrah trees, carry trees, tingle trees. Do you think that um, that's a, an asset that WA Forest Alliance has in trying to protect these forests? Yeah. I mean, the, you know, none of the forests that grow here grow anywhere else on the planet, and I think that's significant to people. And and also we're so isolated. We've got thousands of kilometres of ocean or desert, you know, one side to the other, um, that separate these forest ecosystems from other similar ecosystems and also really, really old, pretty nutrient-poor soils. So um, so the, the environment has developed in um, quite harsh and complex circumstances. Uh, and, look, it's, it's that and that the, the fact that we've got a, the, this part of the world is uh, one of the whole world's 36 global biodiversity hotspots because of that diversity, but also because of how much it's been flogged. There's been 90% of all of the natural vegetation in this global biodiversity hotspot has been logged or cleared in the last 200 years, 90%. So, you know, it's um, it's pretty savage. And I think West Australians are, um, you know, they're, they're people who do spend a fair bit of time in the southwest because people come out of Perth into the southwest on holidays pretty frequently and it's hard to ignore um, not only how beautiful and, um, you know, the, the sense of kind of majesty um, that exists in the forests but also, um, yeah, just the the impact of logging and clearing and burning has been really profound. So what's left of them, I think, yeah, it, it is an asset to our campaign if you want to put it in those terms. It, 
you know, West Australians get it. Um, they, they love the forests. They feel a, a sense of pride and a sense of connection. Uh, and, um, and also they felt kind of ripped off, you know, that we put so much effort in collectively, tens of thousands of people into protecting the old growth. And then when, when it really dawned on everybody that, um, that that hadn't entirely been the case, there was a fair amount of, um, you know, pe- people really being motivated again to make sure that it was done properly this time. And, I mean, the timber industry in WA, I guess it's not the powerhouse of industry that mining is in WA, but um, they generally have a lot of of lobbying. Has it been um, hard? Has there been pushback? Is there plans for, um, I mean, more rigorous plantations and things like that? What does that look like? Yeah, look, it's been, it's been handled pretty well. Um, it's clear that we needed a transition. The timber industry has been shrinking here for decades and really noticeably for the last 10 years or so. It's only about 450 people employed in native forest logging and about 92% of our timber comes from plantations uh, and native forest logging has been operating at a financial loss so it's been costing the state government more to cut down the forest than they've been able to recover in the sale of timber. So it was pretty inevitable really that it was going to happen. The question was whether there was going to be a kind of chaotic collapse or if government were going to be responsible about making plans for those workers and timber production. And they've now put $350 million into the expansion of the softwood estate, um, which pine plantations, um, and they've also um, promised really healthy um, compensation and support packages to those workers, each worker's getting around $45,000 each as they transition from this job into another. Um, and they've given them two years' notice um, that, that those contracts are, aren't going to be renewed so they've handled it well. Okay. Well, if people want to find out more about um, what's going on with WA Forests, how can they do that? Uh, a couple of ways. Um, our website, WAFA, as in waforestalliance.org.au, is great, and I'd really encourage people to head over to the Northern Jarrah Forest page when they get there to find out what's going on with that issue. Um, and then on social media, we're WA Forest Alliance. All right. Thanks very much, Jess. Hey, thanks so much. It was really nice to talk to you. We were talking with Jess Beckling from WA Forest Alliance about their win in the state government announcing anti-native forest logging, but the work they've still got to do there as well. And for the last interview of the show, I'm going to stick to the trees theme. I'm going to talk to Carl Wilson from uh, the Hamilton Hill Guerrillionaires, who are just a group of friends based in the suburbs in sort of South Fremantle, the southern end of Perth, and they have decided to take it upon themselves to revegetate their suburb with a bit of uh, native bush, and I managed to get along to a couple of the tree plantings, um, a lovely time, it has to be said, and wonderful to be getting some of those unique Western Australian trees, tuits and um, carries and some of those all different types of banksias that are such a distinctive part of this part of the country to be putting them back into the suburbs. So I thought I would grab Carl and have a chat to him about what they do as well. Let's have a listen. My name's Carl, um, live in Hamilton Hill, uh, West Australia um, and yeah, I guess uh, you're talking to me because Myself and some friends around here have been involved in this um, community tree planting project for the last couple of years. 
Yeah, so this is the Hamilton Hill Guerrillionaires. Um, can you tell us what's it all about? I mean, really, it's just about putting trees in the ground around the community where they otherwise wouldn't be, I guess. Like when the uh, the council or the, the landowners seem to be sort of dropping the ball and or intentionally, you know, um, leaving land vacant. Um, I guess we just try and jump in there and a um, bit of a mix between um, bush reveg and just kind of um, filling up those dead spots around the community, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, what kind of trees are you planting and what do you think is the value of these type of trees that you're putting back into suburbia? Uh, so we try and keep it all as sort of local as possible. We collect the seed from the local uh, natives here, sort of all around Clontarf Hill, um, Manning Ridge. Uh, so there's a lot of chewets, got some marries, got some uh, jarrah, there's a bunch of uh, banksias and some other little assorted shrubs and things. Uh, basically... We do a little bit of fundraising, mostly we chip in ourselves and, and get some uh, trees from the local uh, tree nursery, native nursery, Apace, in North Frio. And then uh, there's a couple guys do a fair bit of growing as well and seed collecting in the backyard. So basically we take those, those local varieties and um, I guess we just try and do what we can in terms of re-establishing the, uh, the bush that used to be here, it was sort of predominantly Stewart Forest um, around this little part of the Swan Coastal Plain. I guess a lot of the work starts around Clontarf Hill and has spread out from there. Um, got a little community garden there too, working around that and then slowly, kind of ambitiously <laughs> spreading out from there and seeing what we can get away with. Yeah, well how does it work? How do you pick a bit of land i guess um a lot of it is land that is has been bought up by main roads um over the years over the last you know several decades and so it's all road reserve and and you know they'll sit on land for for a long time yeah so there's a lot of main roads land around here um that we live on and around and it seems to have been you know, bought up for whatever road developments that may or may not happen and sat empty for, you know, decades in some places. And um, I think main roads have quite a stated interest in not establishing any kind of trees or, I guess, community infrastructure that could threaten potential future uh, road developments. And we sort of see these bits of land as as kind of vital corridors for native wildlife and you know blue tongues and you know blacktail cockatoos and all other kinds of locals who um, need the trees and feed around so we just I guess we're just trying to fill these up as best we can um, with a little bit of kind of um, weed control uh, in amongst established bush as well and replanting there too. Yeah, I mean, 
it is important to have that habitat for native species and things like that and obviously barren land is a bit of a kind of eyesore i mean it's a lot of work that you do to raise seeds and then go and you know find these plots and plant them and then look after the plants i mean what does it mean to you like regenerating this land and planting these trees is it more than just the fact that there's now trees there um yeah i mean this is where we live i grew up out in the wheat belt and I kind of, I guess I noticed it's been living in the suburbs, the importance of just being around bushland, um, which is not to say that, you know, there's enough bush out in the wheat belt either. But, um, you know, a lot of the work that I, I did and my family did out there was was um, native tree work and replanting and re-veg. And I guess it's sort of in my blood a little bit. And um, I don't know... I, Kind of, I do a bit of community work and stuff, and working with young fellas and having a family means a lot. I think to have access to a bit of bush around, and I don't know the way I see it is a, a good little bit of bush. You can just sort of go out there and hang out, and it takes care of a lot of a lot of the problems all by itself. You know, just sort of mental health wise, I guess, and um, just physically health wise just being amongst the trees and sort of having a bit of fresh air you know visually as well uh just it just feels like the right thing to do you know well um i guess what would you suggest for other people that live in the suburbs and are hoping to revegetate those suburbs a bit like what advice do you have for them uh probably the one that keeps popping up for me is uh is that old cliche like uh, better to ask for forgiveness than permission, you know? I'd say uh, be careful not to, you know, hit any underground lines. But apart from that, you know, get out and, and plant some trees. Get them however you can. Go and see the local nurseries and see if they have any sort of stock laying around. That Really, at the end of the day, man, just like, Get a hold of the trees and get your mates together and get out there and and put them in the ground, you know? All right. Thanks, Carl. All right. Cheers, Andy. That is Carl there from the Hamilton Hill Guerrillionaires talking about what they're doing, uh, revegetating the suburbs of Perth. And it was great to see uh, some of Brisbane's own guerrilla gardeners at Growing Forward um, getting on Gardening Australia as well the other week. So congratulations to them. A amazing job that they do as well. Um, that's about all we have time for on the Paradigm Shift today. Hope you have enjoyed our little uh, jaunt to Western Australia. There'll probably be more um, West Australian stories in the next few weeks of Paradigm Shift, so stay tuned for that. And, of course, plenty of other um, important information to help you try to make a better world, which is what we're all about on this show. So stay tuned in. See you next week.